Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. Tim, why don't you introduce Chad Spencer? Well, I'm going to start with a little bit of an anecdote. So it's an interesting time to talk about, you know, there's a lot of people out looking for jobs right now, especially in the oil and gas space. So it got me thinking about recruiting as we were talking to Chad. It just strikes me as a guy who's used recruiters in the past, there's there's really kind of two. You've got the yeah. um, guys who just want to throw a ton of names at you, just fill your inbox with names. And there are others that really spend a lot of time to get to know you. Uh, you know, and, and it works. If you're trying to hire, if you're Amazon trying to hire, you know, 300 people, I guess the recruiter is just going to throw you a bunch of names. That's great. But um, it's pretty annoying as a hiring manager, like when I was mm. trying to hire you to get 50 names and, you know, one look at the resume, yeah, it's not interested. So it's one of the things that really impressed me about Chad is, is the kind of effort that, you know, he'll go through to really fill the right position with the right people. And more than that, train the people that he's bringing in to be the right employee. And that's what was kind of fascinating to me. So I want to want to bring Chad in. The other thing about Chad is he's got his fingers into a lot of different things. He's a tr- real entrepreneur, mm-hmm. always looking around. As a matter of fact, he reached out to me after a LinkedIn post and said, hey, we need to get to know each other. And I need to help you with your your LinkedIn and all that with no no upside for him in theory. Uh, so it's it's pretty cool. So Chad, why don't you uh, jump in here and and kind of give us your background a little bit and what you do? Yeah, Tim, I, I really appreciate you having me on. And um, you know, it, it's it's just one of those things as an entrepreneur. I mean, I started Hazeltine for uh, excuse me five and a half years ago, and um, you know, had a completely started from scratch. You know, I had a non compete with my previous firm, and so uh, we had to you know, start a new industry and, and grow it up and just talk to everybody and their dog. Um, and finally, you know, uh, we made something great out of it. So um, yeah, like you said, I have my hands in a number of different things. Uh, I like to add value in a number of different ways with the company. I don't like to look at myself as just this, you know, this other recruiting firm out there, just a, you know, same old, same old recruiting firm. I really like to add value in the fact that, you know, it could be sales, it could be marketing, it could be, you know, how to teach companies how to write a better job description, you know, like a, a sales letter job description, as opposed to, you know, a, uh, you know, requirements menu. So um, in addition to that, we have a private equity firm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we've got three portfolio companies in our private equity firm, wow. uh, two finance companies, as well as an oil and gas company. And, um, yeah, it's just a uh, rocking and rolling, man. I'm having a lot of fun and, and, um, just happy to be here. So yeah, he's got a busy day <laughs> every day, every day. Yeah. I've been impressed by your, your social media presence, uh, and, and very pleased that you were able and willing to come on the podcast, especially fairly short notice, given how, how busy you are. Um, t- talk about, uh, your background. Did you grow up? Are you from Texas? Like, did you, were you born in the oil patch? Like how, how did you sort of get to where you are? Yeah, so I'm I'm born and raised in Houston, Texas. Uh, fifth generation Houstonian. Wow. Um, and uh, not many of those. <laughs> yeah, that's what I always get. I you know you just grow up. You you feel like okay, everybody's from Houston, but um, when you get in the business world, uh, there's a lot of transplants here. So, um, yep, fifth generation and um, family's been in the uh, you know refining uh, as well as the oil services business. Uh, but you know I, I didn't really grow up. I mean they they 
were kind of, they weren't executives, you know, in that space. Uh, we just kind of came up uh, through the ranks and, you know, didn't really, didn't really have an, uh, a knowledge of the industry before I got into it. Um, you know, I had a bunch of buddies into it. That's why I wanted to specialize when I started my firm, wanted to specialize in the oil and gas business because I, I really thought it was fascinating uh, and energy capital of the world. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was just a really good fit. It's hard not to grow up in Houston and just not have, I mean, even if you're a convenience store owner, you're still oil and gas at some level. You know, there's, there's, yeah, if you've been here that long, there's an oil and gas dependency, you know? Yeah. You go to, you go to your first Astros game and you just look at the sponsors oh. over the, the left field wall by the train tracks. tells you all you need to know. Yeah, that's right. So you've built a, you know, a really good online presence with your social media and you've just started, this is something near and dear to both Jeremy and I kind of being in sales. You started this little, and by the time this airs, it might be over, but you started this 30 day challenge on cold calling. Mm-hmm. What, why, why did, really? why did you, why'd you do that? And before, and before you answer, I just want to say, I believe I saw a knife involved earlier today on a LinkedIn post. So I need to know about that first. Yeah. So backstory on the knife. So uh, golf is a pretty big part of my life and I get asked to, you know, play in different scrambles. But one, one organization that we're really involved in is the SEAL Legacy Foundation. It's an amazing organization in which if a SEAL is killed in battle, um, this organization helps their family Uh, and, you know, throughout the kids going to school and then long term. Right. And um, anyway, the golf tournament was last Tuesday. We got runner up. Uh, and, uh, they gave us this great KA band knife. And, uh, anyway, it's, uh, uh, K bar, excuse me, K bar. And, uh, it's an amazing knife, but yeah, that was just for getting second place, um, in, in that tournament. So I got to tell you, Chad, when I was watching that video this morning and kind of researching for this podcast, I couldn't take my night, my eyes off the knife because I was convinced you were getting ready to cut your jacket or (laughs) stab yourself in the hand or something. Because you, if you've never watched Chad, he speaks with his hands all the time. And the knife is just flying around. I I was very worried for you. (laughs) Saw that. That's what my wife says. Yeah. (laughs) My wife says I always talk with my hands and I really need to stop with the hands. And that's okay. I mean, it's just something I do. But yeah, I got a, I got a few clothes. You know, luckily I, I clean shaved this morning. Like I do every morning, but uh, got a got pretty close to the uh, the neckline a few times. <laughs> so tell me about that. Tell me about the cold calling challenge, the thirty day yep. challenge. You're posting on it. Yep. So um, one of the businesses that we recently started was a sales training business, and um, in this cold calling challenge, I basically wanted to prove that cold calling was not dead. Cold outreach, if done the right way, is not dead. You know, there's a lot of folks that say cold calling's dead. Um, quite frankly, in my opinion, you know, they just haven't learned how to do it correctly yet. And there's a lot of organizations out there that are trying to automate things. They're trying to, you know, send out blast emails. They're trying to spend enormous amounts of money in, in marketing. And if they just taught their salespeople to cold call or, um, you know, conduct cold outreach correctly, um, they would be, you know, quite a bit better in the revenue category, if you know what I mean. So it's yeah. really just a... Um, a, a social proof experiment that it does work. And we're literally, if you saw the video, we're literally busier than we have been in our recruiting firm in, the, in months. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's blocking and tackling. And th- this is near and dear to my heart for sure, Chad, because recently I launched my company, Funk Futures. We do 
contract sales and marketing for energy tech companies. I think we talked about it on a, on a pod like one before this. But basically, that, that's part of the premise as well is, you know, I'm a pretty well-connected guy as, as far as, um, you know, executive level and, and mid-career if level context. If I, if I do, indeed. Thank you, network. Um, but, I, you know, fairly well-connected. So you get me and my network and that access. But also, we have a team that actually hits the phones and sends out very, you know, strategic and pointed emails but I feel like that's a big part of the problem is if, especially if you are a, an engineer or a technical founder, the last thing you want to do is pick up a phone and cold call someone. Yeah. As a sales guy, it is one of my least favorite things to go do. Yeah. I know you have to do it. You have to have the right attitude, but it is hard just to pick up that phone and do it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, it's super difficult for me to even do it. But one thing that really, you know, makes a cold call warm is the more you know about a person, the less the call is cold. And so um, when when I'm training folks in our training business, um, I, I'm really teaching them how to research via LinkedIn, Facebook, LinkedIn company page. You know, you need to be following if you're a salesperson, you have prospects, you need to be following all their company, all the all your prospects, company pages. Because if you can interact, if you can like and comment, don't just like uh, because that's just lazy, like and comment something interesting, you're going to get some visibility uh, within that company. And if you can you know, follow your prospect, uh, their personal LinkedIn page, every time they post something, you can engage with their posts. People don't just post things to get them, you know, to just put them out there. They want engagement. And so to the extent you can be that person that engages, um, it, it is, de- they're going to know exactly who you are. So when you call them, even if you have to leave a voicemail, um, they're going to call you back a lot of the times. Buyers are, are much more educated now. You know, when I, when I first came into sales, I'm an old man now, it's been 84 years. Now I, I started, uh, as an inside sales guy, as a pure hunter in 2003, with a company called Left Hand Networks uh, over in, in Boulder, Colorado. And my job, they gave me lists. I think these lists were probably stolen by one of the sales guys or some of the executives from other companies and said, here, call these guys. This is your territory. Go. We did have Salesforce, which was nice. But my job was to make 80 to 85 phone calls a day. And, and my hit rate on that was like getting one or two people to really bite on it. So I learned the hard way. There was no information about these people you know, they don't know me from Adam. The The company website is still it's in its early phase. Now, if I'm going to go out and buy something, like I feel like I already know what I'm going to buy before the sales rep even talks to me. So it's it's made the job a little bit trickier given the education level and just sheer amount of information available uh, to a potential buyer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you it's really about your personal brand too. I mean, let's just say you reach out to somebody cold. Um, they're going to look at look you up on Facebook. They're going to look you up on LinkedIn. They're going to look up your website. I mean, you have to have an enormous amount of content out there um, that provides a lot of social proof. You have to have, you know, people that uh, endorse you. Um, they're going to look at everything about you before they decide to return your call or decide that, hey, this is somebody um, that I can see myself doing business with. Yeah. Background check. That's right. <laughs> so do <laughs> wanna, comes you know, up. I'm going to come back to the recruiting angle just a bit. You mentioned something in our prep call, Chad, that I wanted to touch. So one of my frustrations as a hiring sales manager was I wanted a loyal salesperson more than I wanted that high revenue, 
you know, always chasing the commission guy. And I would always, you know, you, you go to a XYZ recruiting company, say, well, I'm going to hire a sales guy and they'll bring you the two year guy that, you know, every two years changes position. So there's a lot of, of volatility in the, the, um, sales world, but I'm curious, you mentioned something about your sales training that you give to when you're recruiting for salespeople. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. So actually, um, this is pretty new. Uh, we just started doing it. You know, I, I wanted to have something that was just a, a complete irresistible offer. Okay. Um, because a lot of folks, when, you know, they're thinking about uh, using a recruiting firm, it's like, well, we can find somebody on our own. We don't want to pay a fee type deal. Um, so I wanted to have something irresistible for them. And I, just knowing the turnover in sales, I knew that if I can stay in the process you know, while that transition period is happening. So typically, you know, the transitioning from day one to day 90, if I can be in that process and help that salesperson, help them sell more, help them get a win, um, then it's going to be a really good thing in addition to helping the company find them. So from day one to day 90, I provide sales training for our placed employees. So it's pretty unique in the marketplace. Love that. Yep. That's a, that's, more in the irresistible category because it's a massive value add of here's your person, have fun. It's like, here's a methodology that comes along with said person and, and uh, let's, let's prove this thing out. So kudos to you on, on that. Uh, I have a sure. recruiting centric question because it's always been fascinating to me and my company does a tiny bit of it, a very niche. Um, if we're working with a customer and it would make sense for them to have a full-time resource as opposed to us fractionally then Gino, my sales guy, has a background, Spencer Ogden. He's done that before and he's great. My, my curiosity for you is what kinds of positions do you like filling more than others? Because um, I'm sure everybody has a preference. Like you get somebody saying, I need a chief revenue officer or I, I need a, you know, a SDR or a marketing VP or whatever it is. What, what positions do you like? Oh, I'm going to knock this one out. Yeah. So in our history, we've done a lot in the upstream and midstream oil and gas space. Um, you know, we have placed a number of engineers, a number of accountants, uh, land guys, geos. We don't, I mean, as far as the geo category, we don't do a whole lot of that. Uh, but commercial guys on the midstream side, um, again, accounting, finance, engineering, um, C-level all the way down to, you know, a, you know, just a just an accountant. I mean, we've placed a receptionist before. You know, we wanted to be known as the the person that, you know, although the fees aren't as high, on like a, a receptionist, right? Uh, we wanted to be that go-to recruiting firm that um, wasn't all about the fees. We're okay doing this one, just you know, to really help you out and add value in 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 every aspect of your hiring. So um, you know, we like that. Uh, as far as the sales, we love to we love to hire sales and marketing people just because we can you know help them improve. You know, a lot of times companies are trying to find a marketing, you know, like. You, I'm sure your clients are trying to find a marketing and salesperson, and you know they try to find the person that maybe comes right out of college, maybe has a marketing background. I mean, they've never, never uh, spent any money on Facebook ads. They've never spent any money on LinkedIn ads. They don't have a LinkedIn presence, but yet they're trying to tell the company that, hey, this is what you should do on Facebook and LinkedIn. I've spent over half a million dollars on Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads. And, wow. you know, you, when you spend that much money for your own company, you learn a lot. All right. So, yeah, you know, 
Um, and so there's ways to do it. I mean, that's an that's an entirely different business itself. I mean, I could probably start that business and go get clients today just with the knowledge that I know probably. on Facebook and uh, in Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn ads. People say, uh, you know, Facebook is never going to work for my business. It's an amazing retargeting platform. Somebody goes to your website and then you send a retargeting ad on Facebook to them. Um, you want to be omnipresent. So anyway, I really like those type of roles because I feel like you know, I can I can not only place the person, but I could really add a ton of value once they're there. Yeah, that ongoing support. That's cool. Sure. You know something, Jeremy, that strikes me interesting about the recruiting business. You know, we have to sell to a client or a potential client. Chad's got to sell both sides. He's got to sell the client and the recruit e. Oh yeah. And that, that that strikes. I mean, how what's that like having to sell kind of sell both sides? Yeah, it, you know, it just depends, right? I mean, when you're selling the client that, you know, you should or they should work with you, you know, it's always an uphill battle uh, with a new client, uh, especially if they're posting jobs and uh, trying to find people on their own. Well, you know, we don't want to engage you because we don't want to pay a fee. All right. Well, you know, that's a whole different discussion, a bigger discussion on why, you know, we add a lot more value than just the fee. It's one thing you can just find a person. Um, but it's another thing to make them start. I just did a video or, uh, you know, make sure that everybody's on the same page. So when an offer is presented, um, they, they, you know, take that offer or accept that offer and start your company as opposed to taking a counter offer. Just did a video about that. So if you guys want to go see that video Sorry, on my company page yeah. about counter offers, um, but they're detrimental. And so um, and anyway, that's a sale process. And then when you get engaged with a company, you have to sell the highly marketable candidate. That's what we, you know, that's what we go find for our clients, highly marketable candidates that are not looking for jobs that, you know, mm -hmm. the only reason they would consider a job is because we pitch them on the opportunity and we're really good at pitching our companies. And that's, you know, uh, Tim, you talked about partnering with our companies. That's why we like to partner with our companies and find out. I mean, ask questions like, Tim, why did you go to XYZ company? You know, if you had an opportunity to go to multiple companies. Why did you go to XYZ company? We get a testimonial right there that we can tell out in the marketplace that really attracts the best people that are not just actively searching for jobs, just sending resumes, hoping things stick. Um, like you said, recruiters do, uh, candidates do it as well. You know, just they, they send out their resume to thousands of jobs, hoping that they get one opportunity. We really try to find candidates and our clients and trust us in finding candidates that they can't find on their own and uh, or maybe they can find them on their own, but they can't attract them to their company like we can. So anyway, it's just selling on both sides is it's just a fun deal. It's a willing and dealing try kind of deal. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's just one of those things that, uh, um, you know, it, it's not as easy to just sell a pro, you know, just selling a product. Right. You do have to sell both sides. But if you can do it, you know how much, like this is what gets me going. You know how much value our candidate is going to add or this candidate that goes to that company is going to add to their organization. It's typically 10 times what they pay them. And that's how I justify our fee too. Like if you pay a person $100,000, they should add at least a million. They should save the company money. They should make the company money or improve a process by 10X what you're paying them. So if, if it's $100,000 and they do that, you know, 10X would be a million in value that they add our $30,000 fee doesn't seem like so much. So I want to circle back. Uh, there's so much into that little segment I, I, we could dig into, but 
the counter offer thing. I remember when I got, I got recruited at, you know, the, the bad term by a headhunter is what we were using at the time from <laughs> Slumberjay to Spotfire. Yep. And no problem. And I, I just was kind of talking to her and I said, Hey, you know, what happens if Slumberjay counters, you know, and then she, she, of course, great, good for her. She had some statistics right in front of her to say, Hey, you know, X percent of people who accept a counter offer are gone from that company within the, the next year anyway. It, is that, of yeah, Chad, do you know is that real or what happens when people accept counters? Yeah, it, it's definitely real. Um, it, it's about ninety five percent of the people that accept counter offers leave a company within nine months of them accepting that counter offer. So staggering, right? Why is um, that? Well, it just is because here's the thing: a company can throw a lot of money at you. Uh, two things, right? People can throw a lot of money at you, but typically, money can only fix so much. Typically, what's wrong? at the company that made you even consider a new move is never going to get better, even though they paid you more money. Okay. Second thing, and this is the story I tell to my candidates that essentially eliminates counter offers is essentially, look, I've had multiple companies uh, in doing this over the last five and a half years, call me after somebody, yeah, after somebody put their feet to the fire and um, you know, they had to basically you know, come up to the table and pay them more money just to keep them. I've had multiple clients call me and say, hey, look, Chad, um, you know, we just had a person that they were going to leave us. And, um, you know, we know the statistics in nine months, they're probably going to be gone anyway. We need you to run a confidential search to replace that person. We don't want anybody to know, um, but we want to run a confidential search. What we're going to do is we're going to get that person in here and then, you know, have Bob, let's just say the candidate that took the counter offers, Bob, we're going to have Bob um, basically train him for a little bit. And then, um, you know, through the transition, we're going to let Bob go. So that's that's a lot of the statistic. People don't even talk about that. They just talk about the candidate making another move or continuing to look. But typically, um, that conversation right there <laughs> um, eliminates a lot of the counter offers for me. So, so the fact that the counter offer is is poisons that employee back at the, the company. Well, yeah, there's just no loyalty anymore. It's like, okay, um, so you were looking for a new role. You probably stopped working or stopped working, you know, really hard over the last six months because, you know, typically you don't just wake up and leave, right? And so you've probably been doing the disservice to the company for the last three to six months. Um, you got an offer from somebody, you probably signed that offer. So that when you take a counter offer, that, you know, bridge mm -hmm. is burnt. From the previous, from the company that you just did that with, and then you go back to your company after the, uh, you go back to your company said, "Hey, I just got this offer." We're like, "Oh, we can't lose Bob. We have to keep Bob here because you know that band aid. Like, we got to put some band aid on it because we don't know what we're gonna do without Bob. Uh, and then we're just gonna give Bob twenty percent more than that offer said for a little bit, and uh, and then just to keep Bob. But that loyalty is completely tarnished. Okay." Wow. Um, so that, that's typically what yeah. happens. And people don't think about that when they take counter offers, just like, wow, I just got a hundred from this new company. It's a great role. Oh, wow. My company just gave me one twenty uh, to, to stay. I'm oh, I'm going to do that. Nope. That's, that's, uh, that's so short-sighted. So many moons ago, I was at a company that was emerging. It was growing pretty fast. And the goal of the next sales hire was someone who was at a certain company. So the recruiting process was get whoever is the best person over there. Go target another company and, get that, and take get somebody. that person because it's going to be disruptive. So 
interview happens, give an offer that is way higher with no thought that they're really going to take it because it's going to an up and comer versus a market leader. They accept the offer, right? Go back. They counter. In this case, the person accepted the counter, but you know what it did? It put that emerging company on the radar of that company that these guys aren't joking around, right? We thought they were just coming after us. They're coming. They're coming. And they didn't get person X, but they're going to come for person Y next. So take them seriously. Yeah, absolutely. What about targeting companies? Do you get that often, Chad? Was a hey, you know, just to, you know, X company, we compete with Y, we want somebody from Y. Is that, how does that, how do you treat that, Chad? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's always a conversation that I have with my clients is who do you typically like seeing candidates from? You know, who are the, if it's the upstream space of certain operators that my can or excuse me, my clients like to see candidates from, I mean, sometimes they'll just say, here's a list of names, go, uh, go get these folks. And so we'll run that search confidentially on their behalf because it's not, there's nothing worse than having a poaching war, right? You know, you have XYZ company and ABC company that are um, competing against one another and um, XYZ companies trying to get ABC's employees because uh, they're really good employees. Um, if ABC comp or excuse me, XYZ company goes direct, you know, like has their internal recruiters or something like that, they go direct. Well, what do you think ABC is going to do? They're going to go direct too, and just, you're going to have a poaching war. And so that's why a lot of times they'll hire us just to, you know, do it confidentially. Okay. Shifting gears now, this is uh, near and dear to us, but so you, you posted about, uh, a couple of golf topics, you know, over the past uh, couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. It just occurred to me, Hazeltine Advisors, did you name it after the golf course? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> the story. All right, so I did name it after Hazeltine National. I had a number of different names. Um, so the story behind that, and this goes into cold calling too and uh, getting people to call you back. Um, so the number one pastime for 80% of the executives out there, just in the United States, is, um, uh, uh, is golf. And, uh, and so Hazeltine National was, uh, you know, hosted the Ryder Cup, uh, the year that I founded the company. And so I thought that uh, if I called people, or I called prospects, and I said, hey, this is Chad with Hazeltine, uh, and I had to leave a voicemail, maybe they like, well, I've heard of Hazeltine before, I'll give them a call back. <laughs> and so wow. that was the whole thought process around it. And that's why I teach people like when they're, you know, starting a new company or whatever, you know, um, and, uh, you know, no, no offense to uh, our uh, co-host here, but uh, I, I didn't want to put my name in it. I didn't want to yeah, put my name yeah. in the company because one, you know, if I ever want to sell the company, typically your name's in the company, you get a lower valuation. Secondly, um, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to name it something that rolled off the tongue, and you know, the thought process behind why I did that um, was, you know, the golf reference and people call me back. So hmm. anyway, that's why I named Hazeltine that way. Um, I, I mean, that is chess, man. Yeah, I like that, that. I like that. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. And of course, yeah, I guess that, yeah, well, it, it just, it, especially right around when it was being hosted there, I, I, they think they're getting a, getting a, some sort of a package gonna, to yeah. go, go to Hazeltine. I'm going to, I'm going to marinate on that one. But Tim, you told me something else before we started that Chad yep. is, is an excellent golfer, like almost qualifies for major tournaments. Is, is that right, Chad? Yeah, so I did. Uh, I did quali- golf. Used to be a, a big part of my life. So I play, played in uh, college. I played in um, uh, the mini tours 
And uh, recently, I just tried to qualify at Lakeside Country Club uh, for the U.S. Open. Uh, so, you know, I didn't make it through. I was one under through 11 holes, uh, excuse me, nice. one under through 10. And then we had just a crazy amount of rain, uh, after 10 holes, uh, I was one under would have got me in and, uh, <laughs> the rain came, we had to come back the next day. It was sopping wet. Anyway, no excuses, but I ended up shooting 74 and missed it by three. So, um, anyway, Jeez. but, um, had a chance to three strokes, three strokes from being in the U.S. Open. That's well, that was the that was a local qualifying. Then you have to go to sectionals, and then you get into the U.S. Open, which this year it's at Torrey Pines. I wanted to make it so bad. Uh, Torrey Pines in San Diego is an incredible oh, course. '08 uh, Tiger made it on like a broken leg. He beat Rocco Mediate, and uh, that would have been so cool uh, to go there. But it is what it is. Well, yeah, well, and, and you know, in Ten Cup, the movie. Uh, Kevin Costner's character says, you know, the U.S. Open is what the fairest, fairest tournament or or major that, that's out there. Something like that. That's right. I mean, anybody with a one handicap or better can Even can you, enter. Jeremy. So, yeah, no, I was. So I started playing golf a little bit older, probably when I was about 32, 33. Um, but I, I mean, I fell in love with it like everybody does. And, and now I, you know, I play and, and finally, Chad, the last round I played, things started to come together and I shot maybe a, um, you know, through the back nine, maybe like a plus seven or plus eight. And there for me, go. that was a huge, huge step in the right direction, not losing the ball, you know, only a mulligan here and there. So I told my friends, I'm all excited about it. And, and a good buddy of mine goes, Hey man, you know, 10 more years of that and improvement, you'll be on the senior tour. I'm like, uh, oh, maybe I should lower my expectations a little bit. <laughs> Golf is an amazing game. I, I, I love golf. Um, it has opened up a lot of doors. A lot of people say you do a lot of business on the golf course. I, I, I don't believe that. I've never really done any business on the golf course. It has opened up relationship. That. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not like you're just, you know, closing a lot of deals on the golf course. I, I haven't done that. But just what golf and, and being a, a good player has done for me is, is, is priceless. I've got an interesting take on, on golf. You know, I've I've played it off and on, you know, more serious at times. I'm in one of my down periods I haven't played in a while. But there's something interesting about a stressful week. You're working all week, ups and downs, whatever. You get out on the golf course Friday afternoon. Standing over the golf ball, addressing the ball, you've got about 30 seconds of meditation right there. You cannot be thinking. You're not thinking about the stresses of the week anymore. It's on a little white object, and it really is an interesting therapy, I think, for decompressing. Um, now, golf adds its own stress, but it's a different kind of stress. But <laughs> it, it is a, it's an interesting concept of you know, three hours separated with a bunch of 30-second meditations. I don't, know, I, I, does, I don't know if anyone else sees that. I could be smoking dope. Anyway, just, what's your thoughts? I, I don't know. You might be in the smoking dope category, um, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. But uh, all I know is uh, the stress levels of playing on the mini tours and, uh, you know, just having to eke out, um, you know, $1,000 here, $2,000 there, leveraging a credit card to pay entry fees into tournaments. Um, you know, business is a cakewalk compared to that. Yeah. So well, I'm, not, I'm, thinking, I'm just thinking of me going out yeah, to the public what? golf course, yeah. decompressing for my job. Not, not what you were doing. No, not no, you. no. I, yeah, no. I, I think, I think, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of, 
uh, just being out in the open, right? Just being on the golf course, breathing in um, the pine trees or, you know, just the fresh cut grass and things. Um, You're right. It is decompressing. Um, You know, it is decompressing until you hit that bad shot. <laughs> and, like, and the compression hits. Here. <laughs> and the pressure hits. Yeah, yeah, I mean, God, all this talking about it, it's only about noon here right now. I think I know what has to happen this afternoon, Tim. There you no, go. Just, I'm just kidding. It's it's unlikely. Uh, so, Chad, as far as your business, how do how do people find you? Um, where are you located? I mean, certainly I've even seen your Facebook ads, and and since we're connected, I see you on LinkedIn. But for those of us uh, that don't know you, um, where can people come find you? Yeah, absolutely. Hazeltineadvisors.com. Um, you can uh, also go to my company page, Hazeltine. Um, so uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn's a, my biggest platform, right? And so uh, if you want to follow me on LinkedIn, I do a lot of content stuff, uh, do a lot of video stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, happy to connect with me, shoot me a direct message, or you can, you know, reach me at chad.spencer at hazeltineadvisors.com, um, help you guys in any way. But um, yeah, that, you know, I, I, a lot of people just start following me. They're just like, you know what? Um, you know, I really like what this guy's saying, or I don't like this guy at all. And then they just don't follow me. <laughs> and so, and that's okay. I don't mind that. But uh, yeah, definitely LinkedIn. Uh, you can go follow me there. So, Chad, before we start winding this down, I, you know, it strikes me that you, we, Jeremy and I love to tell stories and we, we go on and on about funny sales stories, falling out of chairs, tripping over wires, things like that in sales <laughs> calls. But you've got to have a different set of stories about how a company that's recruiting or a, a interviewee who is trying to get a job have kind of messed up the perfect situation. Um, I'm kind of curious, what's the biggest mistake or the biggest mistake you either frequently see or have seen by a company trying to recruit somebody? Yeah, I, I think a lot of times and, and uh, a lot of times, you know, they'll try to recruit somebody on their own. Um, they spend months at a time. They get hiring managers on, you know, off their desk and, you know, and then they get down to the 11th hour uh, and they think they have a candidate closed down. They think it's a good offer. And again, candidate turns down the offer, takes a counter offer. You know, it's just so detrimental. And uh, we actually had that recently, not with us, but with a, cl- a new client. And the reason we got hired is because that happened to them. And it happens a lot. And that's why I did that counter offer video, um, just because, you know, there's a lot more that a recruiting firm can add value to. But um, anyway, that, that happened. We were able to find somebody in a week, got everybody on the same page. And then, you know, they accepted the offer. There you go. It doesn't always happen like that. It might take longer than that. But, you know, definitely the counter offer is detrimental. Um, I will tell you one story, um, and then I wasn't going to tell this story, but I'm going to tell this story right now. All right. All right. That's what I like I to hear. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right. So um, I was working with a new client, and this was like right when we started our business. And, um, you know, and and I was working with this new client. This candidate was in Denver, and um, they were, you know, they had already accepted an offer. It was kind of a weird situation because, and this is another thing that companies do. If if you have a if you have a person that uh, signs your offer but says they don't want to start for a month or a month and a half afterward, just find somebody else. Okay, um, but that this, this you know Agreed. yeah this is like right when we started our business and um, had this candidate in Denver accepted an offer was supposed to start a month and a half after on Sunday. So again, this was five months in. 
we hadn't made a placement yet. I didn't make my first two placements till month nine and literally cold turkey, no revenue in the door till month nine. And then we, you know, skyrocketed from there. But um, they were supposed to start on a Monday. I think this was in in June or something like that, that they were supposed to start. They called um, the executive. They called the executive uh, or not, not called them. It was like sent an email or something like that to the executive at like 1259 on that Monday morning, 1259 AM saying, (laughs) Hey, uh, I can't come in today. Um, You know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stay put where I am. This was a month and a half after they accepted the offer. They had shut down the search. They had um, basically, you know, it was it was um, you know a situation where um, they they thought they had somebody there. They were going to fill a gap. They were willing to wait on them. They liked the candidate, uh, and uh, and that candidate stayed put. So didn't even didn't even sell their apartment or anything like that. Oh, so that was wow. very you know, wow. and I learned a lot during that. Right. I learned a lot during that um, during that episode. Um, needless to say, we never worked with that client again. And so, you know, candidates, another thing. When and that, and that, you know, what's bad about that is it reflects on you, the recruiter, it does. It does. as much as it does on the guy who flaked out. That's oh, exactly that, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I vowed to never have that happen again. And we haven't had it happen in the last five years of doing this. But, yeah, it was detrimental. I mean, this client could have been a, you know. Um, we we're we we're uh, forecasting about six figures a, a year with this client and revenue um, because we're really going to help them. They were they were hiring a lot and things, and that was very detrimental um, to our company Hazeltine as a whole by having that happen. We never worked with that client again. And so, that is a painful um, lesson, right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, I, I I see stuff like that, and and I've heard this from recruiters too, like. Hey, so and so is looking to hire. I will never work with that company. Okay, yeah, I've heard enough. Right, you put all the effort in, and you're still expecting some level of good faith. And whether it happens or not is going to depend a lot on well, on those people. Well, I will say this: um, a years later, uh, uh, one of my clients, a very active client, um, they had posted a job. Right, they just you know for whatever reason they wanted to post a job. It was kind of a um, mid level job or something like that. Well, my clients would call me. And ask me, they would be like, hey, what do you think about this person? Even though um, they, you know, we would conduct confidential references. We do that for our clients all the time, even if they're finding people on their own because they can't conduct. It means they can't call everybody that is not on the person's resume. Right. And so um, a couple of years or a few years later, we were very active with the client. And this person came through the job board of that client. They asked us about it. And I told them the story. I said, look, you can make your own decision. I told them the story. Needless to say, they didn't go with that person. So, um, you know, I hate small that. industry. Yeah, Goes it's a very small. It, it really does, man. And you know, your word is gold in this industry. You have to do what you tell people you're going to do. And if you get tarnished, if your word, if your brand gets tarnished, then it can be detrimental to you. And um, you know, luckily we learned our lesson right off the bat um, before we had a big network in the space, and you know, we just never did it again. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, Chad. Well, Appreciate you coming on, brother. This was a good time. And yeah. um, certainly look forward to aligning with you going forward. Your social media and your, and your presence is much needed in our industry. So we appreciate that. Yeah. Hazeltine thank you guys so much. Hazeltine.